0: It's October 12th, 2023. This is Rook. Well, hi there. Welcome to episode 290 of Rook. Gian Gomeshi. Hello to you from Toronto, Canada. Mm. Salam, Nustana Aziz, Durud. Hope you are doing well mm. wherever you are tuning in from around the world. This program is about talking to Iranians, for the most part, and talking to you about being Iranian and building and understanding our evolving Iranian identity, especially for those of us outside of Iran. Mm. Hi, Pega. Smart Pega. Hello. Uh, coming up, our feature interview today, Farshad Motaki.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: How about that, huh? Yeah. The silver-haired fox. <laughs> the handsome man. The news anchor. The uh, the producer. The presenter. The documentarian when he's out there in the field. Farshad Motaki. He's probably one of the most familiar faces on Persian TV. He's a mm-hmm. news anchor on Manoto. in case that... Places him for some people. Yes. Otoge chabar is the name one of one of his programs. Uh, seems like a lovely guy. I've got to know him a little bit, but uh, I'm looking forward to teasing out his full life journey, his career, his story. Mm-hmm. The kid from Rasht, who came to the UK in his early 20s and um, really came to journalism or media later in life. He's done a bunch okay. of a number of things. I mean, he worked at a, a newspaper in London called Nimruz for oh. a few years in the 90s but then was working in business was doing other things until eight years ago he gets discovered by Manotur mm-hmm. and now he's a, a household name and face in the Iranian community around the world the story of him coming to the UK mm-hmm. I love this story I okay. have to ask him about this you know a lot of people leave Iran for a lot of reasons right. many many leave because of the situation there uh, men some are exiled some leave because their family is leaving some Ryan. want a better life somewhere else or fancy somewhere else and him yes fashad Motaghi. why did he leave london uh, iran or london
1: <laughs> why
0: love pega
1: oh wow love it's okay. a love story
0: he, That's he, amazing. he followed a girl to england I'm and never saw her hear- again. No.
1: Oh, come on. <laughs> no, no, no. It
0: has a happy ending. It's actually the woman he's been with. Oh. His wife.
1: That's incredible. He
0: he followed her to England, and they ended up being together for, I think, 30 years now or something. Wow. What so, a story. Uh, what a story. I have to mm. ask him about that. He's, um, I think he's, he's one of the more trusted sources in, in Iranian media. People mm-hmm. are very good. I've been asking people about him, and he's got this sort of a very serious and... Compassionate but trusted tone and, and appearance and presentation, um, but he's also very opinionated. I've noticed on social media, oh. he's talking about the events of the world right now in the Middle East and stuff. And mm-hmm. uh, so, I'm going to get to all that with him, Farshad Motaki, our feature interview coming up from London in just a little bit. Before we get to that. You know, we are going to do our Rook Roundup. Mm-hmm. I want to do it after Farshad today. There's okay. a lot to talk about in yes. terms of stuff going on in Iran and the community and, and everything. But because it's the top of the show, I wanted to say a couple of words about the Middle East and the situation in Israel and mm-hmm. Gaza, especially for those who missed our bonus podcast on Monday because yes. we did talk about this. We did on Monday, and both of you, both of us. Uh, said some things. I, I I don't really have anything earth shattering to say. Um, and I do believe it's somewhat redundant or obvious to point out that it's sickening to mm-hmm. see innocent people die or have their heads cut off or be burned alive or slaughtered or bombed because they happen to live in a country that where there's a terrorist administration or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. I, I generally do my best to to try to be as objective as I can as a, as a journalist over the years. I right. mean, I, I've done what I can to not be too aggressively supportive of any sides or parties or agendas. And for example, I I have voted in every election, uh, nationally and provincially, in, in Canada and Ontario for the last 30 years. Mm-hmm. I don't think anyone knows how I voted, ever. <laughs> because I don't tell them because I, I want to try and try and maintain some objectivity right. if I interview politicians or whatever uh, and by the way I think I voted for every party uh, <laughs> even some of the the weird ones like in the, I, gonna, I think I voted all, every stripe every color <laughs> at some point or another in my life um, what were you going to say I,
1: I was going to say now that you're saying that I'm trying to think if there's been ever anything that you've said that might make me you think one way hat? or
0: another I mean there's definitely time, times in my life where you could yeah. you could guess or know who I voted for but, but there are issues that transcend sides Mm -hmm. and are just about basic human rights and hence our I was gonna say mine but our stated support for and of the uprising in Iran over the last year and the struggle for basic freedom and democracy there that's not really a judgment call it's like (laughs) fucking you know basic human rights right? right so let me simply say this as I did on Monday um to just address this, this situation. Not that I really need to, I just wanted to mm-hmm. say something, but this is what I wanted to say. Because it, it has to do with Iran, this situation. If you are someone who is fine with the complicity, support, and sponsorship of Hamas by the Islamic Republic of Iran over the years, we're not going to agree. Mm-hmm. You you're not going to like what I I have to say. You're not going to like my my position on this. If you're out there and you are somehow celebrating the heinous actions of Hamas in Israel last week, the way Ayatollah Khamenei was doing, you know, cheering mm-hmm. it on, high-fiving the actions of a of a group who would kill innocent people at a music festival yeah. or babies or grandmas or whatever, we're, we're not going to agree. You're not going to like what I have to say. Mm-hmm. I'm not talking to you. <laughs> I'm talking to anybody out there. No, no, I, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, you you looked at me scared there. Right? <laughs> uh, uh, I no, mean, we're on the same page. Whatever injustice has been done in the past to any group including Palestinians and and there are atrocities over the years that Palestinians have endured, we all know that. And and when they happen, they should be called out. Whatever any feelings about israel or the west or the united states or netanyahu and we've talked about all of them on this show mm-hmm. in the last 3 years in all kinds of ways nothing justifies the iranian regime support for hamas and its actions it is inexcusable and as we are of iranian descent and we do a show about and for iranians around the world i think we i think we do have to call out this regime and its sponsorship of terrorism and and that's That's what I really feel like I can say. I know it's simple, but you're not going to convince me to cheer on Hamas. Mm -hmm.
1: Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Okay. And I and I think it's important that, you know, we pinpoint the fact that the Islamic Republic does have a hand in this. I mean, and, you know, we talked about this on Monday. Maybe they didn't, you know, send the orders for this particular attack, but we know that the Islamic Republic has been a supporter of Hamas for so many years. So maybe not, you know, two days ago, but it is there. That support is there. And we see it from the tweets and we see it from the conversations and the support and the money. Well, so I was telling
0: you uh, before we were, start recording that, I do get why the leaders of—I mean, it's a strategic or geopolitical or whatever kind of Mm decision—but why the leaders of Israel or the USA, for example, cannot say Iran was definitively behind this, even if they do know it, because there are implications to that, and then you have to—you know—there's if there's thirteen hundred or more. People in Israel who've died, somebody has to answer for that, and then there's going to be calls to attack Iran. There's Mm -hmm. military action, whatever. So, so the implications can be very big. And and I get where they have to play this dance, this tentative game of kind of going, well, uh, we don't know for sure. We don't want to, you know, we don't want to WMDs. You know, we don't want (laughs) to call out the wrong. But for everyone else, I mean, like people on social media who are kind of scratching their heads, well, we don't really know if Iran was. I mean, come on, you know, this is like a the guy, the guy these mul- the mullahs are celebrating yeah. right I mean or they have been uh, and so it's it's kind of a no-brainer now that said um I, I think sadly I mean I, th- I think I think that the narrative is in, in terms of as an observer of, mm-hmm. of media and the the, the 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 population we were talking about how much support there has been for Israel actually in the Iranian yes. community around the world right we talked about that on Monday I think that's Things are going to shift in the next few days because mm-hmm. there is, as we all also know, an evolving humanitarian crisis uh, in Gaza, That's and right. and we're going to start seeing that the images of that, and and we're going to start uh, being sickened by what we see and what we already know, and 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 you know, there's going to be a debate about what kind of recourse should Israel be taking? Is this too much? Is it fair? Should they be doing it? Why mm-hmm. is retribution necessary? Why isn't it all of that? None of that changes um, whether we should be condemning Iran. I mean, by which I mean the the, the Islamic, the, Republic, the Islamic Republic, yeah. Republic, the IRGC, for its support of, of Hamas.
1: Absolutely, I think it's you know, like we said on Monday, it's it's that. Um, it's like saying the individuals who are sitting there discussing the nuances. It's like who the hell cares? It's not about the nuances. It's about the fact that you know this is wrong extremism on on any side is wrong nobody is going to be sitting there celebrating you know children being beheaded and this and that so i agree
0: and yeah i mean you just said something that makes me like there are i have noticed there's a lot of like influencer types or something or um celebrities some some of them iranian but many others too. that Mm -hmm. feel the need to say something right now and they and they do these this platitudinal thing where they sort of go uh i don't you know i'm sad that innocent lives will be lost on both sides like that kind of thing
1: oh here we go i was gonna say i was gonna talk about how this is a setback for peace and reconciliation and in the region and all that
0: i to to me i I don't i mean it's like kim kardashian saying that like i not that i don't appreciate i i just don't i don't know what the (laughs) point of that like it does it feels a bit redundant to me i don't want to i don't want to challenge anyone's authenticity if they're saying my heart is saddened by this but I'm not sure I think we all get that nobody wants to see I think but babies killed on it you know uh, except for the fucking these you know Hamas or whatever yeah Yeah.
1: well I think I think everyone gets that but I think especially in the case of um, you know Hamas and the Israeli conflict it's the problem is that it's been going on for so many years that sometimes that that humanism that 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 element is lost like it's it's constantly this one-upping of each other and these atrocities and it's like you know Hamas will behead a bunch of children and then Israel will shut off water and access and all sorts of things and it's it's just I think remembering that at the end of the day there is that level of humanity I think that's important
0: Mm, okay yeah I mean humanity is important yeah well you're not playing devil's advocate. You believe what you said, right? <laughs> yes, I I, do. L- I love when you say that. <laughs> you issue an opinion of that you say, but I mean just to just, play devil's just, advocate. You know. yeah. Uh I no, I appreciate what you're saying. I um, I always appreciate what you're saying, Thank Smart you. Pega. Hence the the moniker, smart <laughs> PEGA. Otherwise you'd just be simple. Just simple or plain pega. old Pega. Yeah. Actually, simple PEGA would have the same acronym. It would. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> <laughs> um, there's so much more to say about Iran and the way it I believe it's gonna be or as we've, we've talked about a little bit, it's going to be implicated based on what has happened this week. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think this has changed things oh, yes. in terms of the way Iran's going to be seen and in terms of um, possibilities of cozying up to Iran. I'm not sure when it comes to, say, China and Russia and North Korea, but, mm-hmm. but it's certainly with, with the West. Uh, we're going to get to that in the roundup after Farshad. Yes. But I should note that we talked a, a, a bit about... Uh, we had a much longer conversation. If anybody's interested uh, about this stuff on our bonus podcast on Monday, mm-hmm. and we called it a bonus podcast because we haven't been doing shows on Mondays, we're going to do this. It, it was the roundup. It's the, the, the Monday is just mm-hmm. the roundup, which featured such people as you <laughs> and me, and uh, and. We're going to do that on Mondays and perhaps invite some other folks in to be part of that roundup and it'll be the bonus podcast for the next couple of Mondays. But starting in November, uh, I want to mention that we are going to know we've been, I think if people have been listening to this program, they know that we have uh, a way that you can support mm-hmm. us by becoming a Patreon member. That's right. if you're a rook fan, if you like our content, if you support what we've been doing, if you've been following us for a while, if you've been uh, happily a subscriber for free <laughs> for all of this time, um, we are going to the first, for the first time uh, be creating content that you can only access if you are a Patreon member. Mm-hmm. Now, you can do that at the lowest tier of Patreon. And if you already are a rook member on Patreon uh, for five bucks or more, you're going to get this content, so don't fear. This doesn't you know, retroactively. You, 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 you will. Everyone who is a Patreon member will, but will get it. But these Monday podcasts that are going to be our round roundup,
1: mm-hmm.
0: uh, they will be starting in November, available to Patreon members, and we hope this will become an incentive for some of you who've been kind of sitting there going, "Well, I don't really need to be a rook member uh, to support what's going on. I get the show anyway for free." If you want to hear the roundup and the special guests on it and all that, that'll be on Mondays. And uh, and we invite you to become a Patreon member. Now, how do you do that?
1: That you can do through our website mm-hmm. um, or simply by going to patreon.com and searching up Rook Media. Um, and you can access all of our bonus content there.
0: So once again, if you go to our website, rookmedia.com, R-O-Q-E media.com, You can link to, uh, first of all, you can link to all of our platforms there uh, Spotify, SoundCloud, Apple, Instagram, Castbox. But you can also press the support us button. It'll take you to the Patreon page, and that's where you become a subscriber. And we love it when you do become a Rook member on Patreon. All right, Pega, let's, uh, we're going to, our guest is ready in London. So we're going to come back and do the roundup on the other side of Farshad. Let's get to our feature guest. My feature guest today is a familiar, reassuring, and Trusted face for those who regularly watch Persian media. He is an Iranian British news anchor, producer, and presenter at Manoto TV. Farshad Motaki was born and raised in Rasht. He moved to Tehran at the age of 17 and pursued a degree in business management. At 23, he relocated to England and ended up working at an Iranian newspaper called Nimruz for nine years. Since 2015, Farshad has been a prominent figure at Manoto TV, known for his presence as an anchor and an interviewer on such programs as Autore Khabar and Reportage. And right now, Farshad Motaki joins me from London, England. Hello, sir.
2: Hi, Zheerjan. How are you today?
0: I'm fantastic. I'm, I'm very happy to have you on the program. Thank you for doing this.
2: Thanks for having me.
0: I'm a fan. Uh, you know, I when approaching this interview and preparing for it, a couple of people asked me, if you can speak English, (laughs) how your English is. And it occurred to me that it must be curious for you that you've been out of Iran for three decades and in the UK. But someone might ask, based on knowing you as a Persian anchor, whether you speak English, does that make you chuckle?
2: Uh, To be honest with you, even for myself, it's sometimes hard to speak English because I've been working for um, Iranian media almost for two decades. So it's mainly I'm speaking Farsi. And also, you know, he's just like all the friends, family, so he's mainly speaking Farsi, so he made it kind of difficult when he said it's going to be in English, I although it's my first actually English interview, so... It's a challenge.
0: I am honored. Uh, and as you've already made evident, your English is immaculate, as it ought to be, uh, given how long you've been outside of Iran. But but it is curious that you've spent more of your life outside of Iran than inside. And yet I know that you profoundly identify as Iranian first. Yes?
2: Definitely. Definitely. i am I'm, I'm been born and bred in Iran, and I moved to England when I was 23, so basically uh, part of me still is in Iran even though right now I can't go back to Iran but you know I'm I'm really Iranian
0: Fashad, you're also seen as a very uh, serious guy I I, I mean <laughs> based on the impression you can give as a news reporter and as an anchor um you've privately sworn to me that you're not that serious do you do you do you find <laughs> that being on TV, is about giving an impression that is sometimes incongruent with reality. In other words, when an Iranian meets you surely and recognizes you, do they have an impression of you that surprises you sometimes? Uh,
2: Well, to be honest with you, in terms of being serious, uh, because we're in news department, so when you're telling the news, it's not a joke, so you got to just your face expression, your body language, everything has to be right. But as a person myself, to be honest with you, people see me and they get surprised, they think, oh, you got a sense of humor. I said, well, I'm a human, you know, so I can be funny as well. But uh, recently we had a guest from Iran and they came to our house for a dinner. And then after the um, night was over, the gentleman told me, uh, oh, my God, you're very funny. And we thought (laughs) you're like, you're really miserable because you're always so serious. I thought, no, I'm not miserable. It's just part of the job, you know. So it depends what you're delivering to. People,
0: you know. Let, let me turn it around perhaps and ask you about seriousness. And before we get into your personal story and your career, you know, I was watching you uh, in the last few days and thinking about the situation of the world, which is a, a dire one, a particularly heartbreaking one when it comes to Israel and Gaza right now. Um, not that Iranians are immune to tragedy and atrocities, of course, especially even in the last year. But, Farsha, does it take a different level of emotional strength? to be anchoring during these times for you or is it and i don't say this in a trite way but is it another day at the office to a certain extent do you have to prepare yourself uh going in when you know you're talking about lives being lost in the way they are right now in the conflict in the middle east
2: 100 i think it's one of the toughest job when you got days like these which is very hard you know and um emotion will kick in so it's like um today for example for instance well, we've seen few uh, several um, videos from the scene that i can't even describe and that was it made us all tearful you know and that was just before we go for the live show and uh, you think oh my god i got to deliver this i have to read this script and that is one of my nightmares when we uh, have things like this comes up and you think um, millions of people are watching you and they count on you. So, you gotta, as a presenter, you gotta have that skill to hold on to it. But many times happened to me, maybe four or five times, that I break into tears in front yes. of the camera, in the live program. And, you know, so no emotion kicks in and it's very difficult for me to control it.
0: I actually love the fact that you've. You've been emotional at times on TV. It, it's p- part of the humanity that I think you bring to your your broadcasting. But but how do you then prepare for a day like today? Surely this morning, when you're going into to, to know that it's going to... You, you, you know it's going to be a tough day. What do you... Is there a way you prepare yourself?
2: Um, yeah, you try not to go too deep into the story because uh, end of the day, we're just presenting the thing. And sometimes even my colleague next to me reading the news I try to just mime a song in my head and try to just oh we play the VT in between our things we go and watch like three minutes reports and we come back usually it's a sad news recently mm-hmm. for the last 12 months I would say all the all the news is really about Iran about the Zanz and the girls and everything It was too many sad VTs we had to go through and I tell the producer please can you close the voice on the floor so i can't hear it because once i hear it then i won't be able to control i mean all of us with the same that's one of the thing you know we, we just request not to listen and i got a colleague which she's she's fantastic and she has been working on all the people being injured and killed since last year in the revolution in iran was happening and uh, she comes and tells me uh fasha did you watch my VTS i said well do you expect me to watch it and go and cry so i'm going to watch it when i go home so it's yeah. like we try to make it, not a joke, but it's like try to put blind eyes and not to watch it while you're actually presenting the news. It's very hard.
0: But it's amazing. I mean, I know that you've done a lot of things in your life, but you have been an anchor for eight years. You've been doing a bunch of different shows at Manitou. You've also been a reporter in the field. You've done that reportage show where you're where you're going sometimes to conflict areas. It's interesting. I mean, may, maybe it's somewhat heartening that you are not um, somehow that hasn't, Uh, drained the 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 emotion out of you to having seen all that you've seen having done that you've all that you've done day in day out you're still emotional you're still uh, those tears are still close for you huh
2: yeah I think it's your personality I know people that they can deliver any news without even robot face like really poker face and they can do it I can't do it Uh, personally I'm a very sensitive person if I see a kid's got disability or anything in the streets. It happens before to me. We walk into the supermarket with my wife. I see like a two years old in a pram, disabled, and I pull my wife's hand and say, come out, and I start crying, I hug her and I start crying. She says, what happened? Tell me what happened. I said, you see that kid? She said, oh, please don't look because you can't. It's, it's me, you know what I mean? So, but some people can take care. They don't just go over it without even get affected. But for me, it's very difficult. I'm a very emotional person
0: how do viewers react when you're emotional like those times when you've cried what's the reaction you've received
2: the, the first time that happened it was for me it was something new as well it was my first time actually reporting about a five years old it was uh, i reported goes i was doing end of the show and it was a five years old boy in khiawuna in tehran and he was actually selling like um things and it was nine nine o'clock in the evening the I reporter was filming it was a young lady and she said oh he's only like five years old and the, it's like minus one degree in tehran and he's just working for this and i'm getting this for the gozarish karamana so i edited things and everything and i thought i'm going to be okay so so what and we see this a lot and then once i was presenting i burst into it i couldn't finish my sentence mm. And once we went to the VT to watch the actual video, because I give a little link, then we watched the uh, report is has been sent to us. And uh, everybody came and hugged me and said, you've got only 50 seconds, finish it off because you have to pick it up again. And I've done it. But next day, uh, the, I mean, when they put on the social media in Manitou, it, it was a big impact. I was thinking people would say how unprofessional this presenter is that he couldn't hold his emotion. But it was exactly the other way around. People loved it. They said, we are so glad to see somebody is not just a robot or poker face standing there and telling us things. So you take that to your heart. You feel what's happening there. And it's, 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 it's uh, touched people's hearts. And I thought uh, that gave me actually a reputation that, you know, I'm a human as well. I'm not just a TV presenter yes. that has got no emotion.
0: Yes. You've also not been... I mean, you've not been shy about your opinions at times, at least not if not on the air in 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 your social media in your you know your sort of public face outside of the being on TV and and you've I mean you've you made no no bones about the fact that you're not a fan of the current regime in Iran and and you this week have have been quite outspoken about your your support for Israel or at least your sorrow at the loss of Israeli lives this week. Um, it's not something that we always see news anchors do or say in social media. There's that postulate of objectivity where they're they're not supposed to show um, any sort of opinion on on any kind of side. What kind of rules do you have around this, uh, either personally or with Manoto?
2: Well, with Manoto, basically because we are not a commentator, we we are not politicians, so we just tell the news without taking anybody's side. We just tell the news what is happening. So that is our duty and we deliver that. But when it comes to my personal page in Instagram or Twitter or Facebook or whatever, I think I've got a duty as a human to shout out and let people know because I don't support any country. I can't say I'm a pro-Israeli or pro-Palestinian. I think I'm about humanity. So if I see somebody's being bullied doesn't matter is a person is a country or is a group so I think if I can do something if I can be their voice I will be that okay Uh, maybe I don't have a big amount of followers on my social media but the people are following me they believe me and they respect me and I share my opinion with them and that might change some people's uh, vision as well do you know what I mean
0: so nobody, nobody upbraids you or, or calls you in the office and says, "Hey, settle down! Don't don't take any sides. Don't say anything in, in your Instagram." Uh, you know, we're supposed to be objective here. You don't get any of that from the network.
2: No, no, because it's my personal page, and uh, I know Manoto follows me. But uh, end of the day, no. Even even for the Manoto shows, I mean, nobody tells you what you're putting up or come and and check to what you're writing so because they trust you they they know you know your job it's not like second person going to come and check it so it's like you go you deliver what you have to deliver and everyone's happy if something goes wrong they will call you in obviously what usually doesn't
0: do you get pushback from followers i mean surely there's there's if somebody's a i don't know um a, a huge supporter of uh, uh, the palestinian cause and they see you showing your sorrow for israel and they say hey you're a news anchor you shouldn't be taking a position do you do you get that kind of stuff
2: to be honest no i get like direct sometimes not a lot but i get direct message from people that they will tell their opinions so, you know you are wrong this is that uh, it's it's not like why you're news anchor why you giving your opinion but they would just disagree or agree or whatever. But no, not really. I don't think people really care much if I'm a news anchor or whatever.
0: But- really? And even yourself, like before you post something like that, you don't think about it and go, uh, what if this pisses off some people? What if I'm, uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's quite from the heart, I guess. you're just You just put out what you feel.
2: Uh, yes, uh, do you know something? I think uh, I should have that freedom when I'm, it's my free time and it's my own page, is my private page. So I should have that freedom of a speech so I could say what I think. Uh, when it comes to Iranian, I they're, they're my, you know, hambatan, so I have a duty, so I have to shout out. I'll, I will feel myself. I'm in Iran, so they don't have no voice. Nobody can hear them or as much. So I got duty to do that and I, I won't hesitate.
0: Right, right. But I guess somebody at, at uh, I, I I don't know, I was, I was going to say BBC Persian, but let's say some some place would say if, if an anchor says this, you know, um, I hate what Khamenei is doing, then somebody can turn around and say, well, when this guy does the news, he's biased because we already know he's against Khamenei, right?
2: well because if you watch the news which we deliver in you will see that we are not taking part so we're just telling the news that's my job aside but then I come home gotcha, you know, gotcha. see and I cannot control I, sometimes I get so frustrated I get so angry and then I just put a story or the post and no no nobody will at Manoto, nobody will tell you well I mean it's my it's my
0: private page I think nobody would disagree with you, It's at least on the the last opinion I cited about a tour at any other uh, Persian network. Perhaps Uh, tell me about um, your kid from Rasht. Uh, Would Farshad as a kid, a little kid growing up in Rasht, would anyone imagine you're going to become a famous TV news star?
2: And no, I don't think so. To be honest with you, when I was little, um, I mean, when I started going to school and then I started secondary school, then um, teachers come speak to you and they always used to ask me after that to because when the teacher comes into class new chapter they would ask one of the students to read the book for that chapter so i was the only one they would always say i don't know it was my tone of my voice or something but they always liked it so i had that in secondary school and in high school Uh, but i never thought about it that maybe one day that would be useful for me (laughs) but no i was never thinking about that you know
0: what did you think what did you th- i mean i know you as a teenager you moved to tehran in your mind's eye what were you going to do in your life
2: to be honest with you at the time because uh, there was a war going on between iran and iraq because i was 10 years old when the revolution happened so it was all this plava happening you know you see this and it was too much for a 10 years old i could remember the tear gas i could see the people chanting outside you know he was like too much going on then after that the war happened and then we go to the high school and stuff and you're thinking oh my god what's going to happen to me i have to go to um do my duty as well because you have to do your national service for Mm -hmm. two years in iran and i see like my brother was five years older than me and two of his friends been you know killed in a war and they were i saw the pictures accidentally which they were torn to pieces and it was it was really the things i saw and i thought okay that could be me so you always worried about tomorrow what's going to happen then we had like strike from iraq mushak baran this and that so you always been worried about your life so we were not thinking about what am i going to do next year what's my plan for future am i going to be a successful person there was no time to think about this stuff you were just thinking to am i going to survive tomorrow wow. am i going to right. be alive so we wouldn't count on tomorrow, to be honest with you.
0: Actually, let me just roll back for a second to something you you were just saying about being 10 years old at the revolution time. Uh, that That is the Islamic revolution, uh, the 79, 78, 79. I'm always actually, it's, it's a little personal fascination I have with uh, Generation Xers and the Iranian revolution in terms of at least Iranian Gen Xers. Because... If you're two years old during the revolution, you don't know what's going on, you know, and you, you later on, you find out and you process how you want you wish to, um, as something that happened in history. And if you're 20 years old or 25 years old, you've already sort of developed some sense of self and consciousness and ideology and political wit or whatever. Of course, that can change. Many people supported the revolution and then realized, uh oh, we made a mistake 10 years or 20 years or 30 years later. But but you have that sense of it. When you're 10, you're old enough to know what's going on. In other words, you see that there's people with guns in the streets, there's there's um, mobs, there's anger, there's the Shah is no longer there. You, But you're a little too young to really know what's going on. What was the revolution like for Fashad Motaqi?
2: It was scary. To be honest, you hear the gunshots, you hear people out there, the fire, smell of the smoke they're burning tires that's what i remember i remember one day um the street we live in near to Golsar, which is a famous area i went to buy bread or something i don't remember but and then i saw all these soldiers standing up with the. it was a winter so they were wearing all these long coats with the jesse the gun in their hand and then people came and put like a little flower on top of the things and they were just standing there so that's stuck in my mind i always remember that but i've never seen actually people killing each other Okay, even my brothers almost got shot in, he was only 15, he was a little kid, but he was out there, I was 10. But um, it was scary too. I didn't want to go out, to be honest with you. Did
0: you think something bad was happening at the time? What was the feeling, was it?
2: Uh, I had no sense of anything those days, because Mm -hmm. I wouldn't understand. But I remember my dad, would um a couple of times I saw him crying and then when he was listening to news and then my uncle would tell him no but what's, what's up? you know what's, what's wrong with you he said people are making big mistake because what they're doing if Shah's leave we don't know what our future is going to be so he was pro-shah and he was I saw his tear coming down crying to me so that was something that I thought you know so probably he's a good person but why are they getting rid of him but I wouldn't think too much because I was too young and that sense of a fear and at the same time you're a kid you don't understand so yeah, yeah.
0: you served in the iran- iraq war right i did yes what was that like for you
2: um again scary because when i start uh, my army it was uh, iranian year was uh, uh, 66 and i finished 68 that's the iranian year. she started and I finished shasto and that was the first year was End of the war and the second year it was the peace was made right. uh, so i was i did my seven month of my duty in afos and when um, a mersad operation happened which mojahid attacked iran uh, they called us to be ready to go for the front line and stuff like this and it was it was very scary to be honest with you you feel the bitterness in your mouth all the fear you have and you're thinking, I see, you see your friends got killed day before in a front line and you think, oh my God, I'm going to be next. So yeah. it, it was full of stress, to be honest with you. And I could never imagine that's going to be over. I was thought, I'm going to die. I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to finish my army here. It's, it's going to be end of it.
0: It's pretty normalized for Iranians who grew up in Iran because you know Sardarzi is something that you do. You know you're asked to do. You're 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 conscripted to do. But for those of us who grew up outside of Iran um, or left Iran as little kids or something, it's um, it's a really crazy for. I mean, I can't imagine in Canada. You know, conscription would be. You know, it's not something that's it's very foreign to us. You know, in your case, did it change you somehow? it's hard to say I think so many
2: um reaction you do now it comes back from there I'm quite short temper and sometimes my wife tells me when you drive you have a bit of a road it's just it's not because I'm a very kind person but sometimes I just for a second I lose my focus you know it's just like and I'm thinking this comes back from all that stress and the nervousness we have to go through all that fears so sometimes uh, you try to control it, but I think some of the um, weakness you have now, I have, maybe comes from those times. But I can't pinpoint say no because of that, I've been like this. So
0: it's, but it was a very tough time. Do you have shell shock? I mean, I have a cousin who's exactly your age, who, who when he hears a loud bang, it reminds him of, of the wartime, you know, in Iran.
2: Yes, I, listen, if I'm sleeping at night, if somebody buzzed the door, I would just jump like a James Bond. I would hit here and there. I would My wife said, what's wrong with you? It was just a door. But I said, no, somebody's there. it's okay, you're going to open the door. If my phone rings, I would jump, look left and right. I would be like very, I think I'm worried about something. You know, that happens to me all the time. Any, any loud noise, I would jump. So,
0: In your early 20s, you leave to go to England. And I, I love the story of you going to England. Um, because some guys leave, uh, some people leave because they are deeply unhappy with Iran. Some leave because they don't think they have the opportunities in Iran. Some are encouraged by their families to go study. Um, Some because they have a job in another country. Some leave as refugees. Uh, You left because you loved a girl, right?
2: (laughs) That's right. Okay. Okay. the story is that, uh, yeah, I was uh, we were a girlfriend, boyfriend for like three years. And uh, my wife's half half Iranian, half British. So she used to come and go. Her mom's was in England, dad's in Iran. So summer in England, school time go back. But she came to Iran when she was 12. So she has to go like an international school to learn the Farsi and stuff.
0: Where did you meet her? Where did you meet her?
2: We are relative, like really far, distance relative, and they came to our house one day, uh, and we were living in Rash, They were in Tehran. Her dad was a uh, admiral. He was a uh, I Nakhoda, mean, uh captain for the uh, Iranian Navy. He was a naval officer. They came from Tehran to visit us, and uh, so we become like friends. And that time I was, I think I was 16, 17. Maybe, eight, yeah, I was about 17, and she was about 13, 14. So I tried to impress her, you know, so it was, <laughs> I didn't anything I could do. But yeah, it built it up. After a few years, we got married and uh, that's how I came to England. And but there is another story about this.
0: Wait a second, you you got married in Iran, right?
2: Yes, I got married in
0: Iran. And then, and then she says, I want to go to England and... and
2: No, it wasn't the case. But my father-in-law said, okay, so now you got married, you can take advantage because she's got a British passport, you go to England. I said, no, no, I'm not going to England. That, that wasn't the case because... I love Iran. I got my friends, my family. I'm a Shaytun, uh, you know. Got my friends, my family. I know the way. I speak the language. I go to England. I don't speak English. You know, it's difficult for me. So, I would rather not. He said, least you're not going to lose anything. Go for three months." I said, "But I'm not interested." So it's, it was like they push and pull. They, the manager, he said, oh, "Just go for three months. If you're not happy, come back." I came to England. I hated it instantly because it wasn't something I was expecting. And I was keep mourning and groaning I want to go back, but you know. So we stayed after a couple of years. I got used to it, and uh, now I love it, obviously. But but Iran is part of me. It's part of Farshad So uh, when you speak, I mean, I see Iranian streets. I respect them so much. I put my time for them, speak to them, and it, it's like world to me. You know. But that's
0: I mean? amazing. That I mean, you're saying basically, you had was were it not for your wife, you would not have you would have stayed in Iran
2: yeah i guess so yeah
0: i mean the the 80s and 90s iran is not a a pleasant place and and you but you land in england and you don't like it what what didn't you like about it uh
2: to be honest with you it was uh, because i were not used to the culture i couldn't speak the language i didn't know the roads you know everything the food was like everything <laughs> the weather gloomy drizzling every day raining so it was like oh, Terra was like 40 degree, 35 degree here we're getting like 15 degree for the summer day i thought what is this you can't go to the seaside you have a sea but you can't go to the seaside all the buildings like <laughs> old and boring and I'm thinking what am I in that narrow road traffic one car have to stop with the other one to come I said Tehran was great you know so and all the crowds you have you know it's fun parties this and that but it was like completely different lifestyle <laughs> completely different what place.
0: a stunning indictment of London but you know I was born in London it's my home uh, See, country <laughs> yes you've done a, quite a hatchet job on it now poor England but I know you like it now you, you I love it you no, love I it love, love now.
2: it now but the, still it, iran is my country i i could never change that with any other but
0: but what i love about the story too is that um it continues i mean you you and your wife are still together right it's been over 30 years you guys are together
2: yeah we've been married for 30 years and we were friends for three four years before that so we are together almost 34 years
0: and and what is the secret of you guys your your longevity together
2: uh, I think she's too nice maybe. I will give the credit to her because she's not honestly she's she's the nicest person I've met. In my well life, appa-
0: apparently she can handle your road rage. So that's one thing.
2: <laughs> I don't have a road rage. No don't get me wrong, it's like I'm a bit of a bad temper when I'm driving and if I have a long day, don't but don't forget, Gian, I have to drive to work for hour and a half. And then come back. Hour at the, so I'm
0: on like, the narrow street where there's no seaside you can visit at exactly, 15 yeah, degrees. Yeah,
2: no sunshine. So <laughs> <laughs> um, she
0: she she's a nice person. I think that's a very modest answer. You you I think it takes for people to move to the other side of the world. You've you've changed occupations a few times. I mean, you guys you you must have a tremendous partnership
2: yes we do we do we, we got very strong bond and we understand each other you always have up, ups and down in your life you know there's nothing going to be like a smooth oh, 30 years is not a joke 34 years but uh, no we love each other we respect each other and we hear each other do you know what i mean that's most important to listen to your partner see what they need is you know uh
0: your your entree as i understand it into media into journalism into into you know uh uh, the kind of work that you do now, was working for this newspaper called Nimruz. Um, and you got that gig because you had a good facility for typing. Why is it that you were so good at typing?
2: Okay, again, it's a long story because when, uh, as I said, we were in Iran, we were always thinking of tomorrow, how am I going to survive? So my mom came one day before I go to my, do my national service, my duty. She said, you know, this next door neighbors, it was a dentist we had in Rash, And he said, his nephew when he was going to the doing his duty he went and learned typing so i'm going to send you to learn and i was like 17 years old i said no, no 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 don't even think about it i'm not going to go learn typing typing is for ladies i'm not going to do that she said no no listen it's going to be just like about two weeks course you do i'll pay for it so she forced me into that and uh, i learned that and that actually helped me because when i went to do my army that was part of my job doing the admin work and doing mm. the typing it made me very fast typist and when i came to england that's how i find the journalism work because that newspaper needed a typist so i started with that and i carry on so i stayed at almost 10 years in nimrus and ended up with page layout um, editing things like this and it put me in that direction then they actually started at um, satellite tv mm. and uh, nominated me as a t- uh, news anchor and i was yeah they've they done a test camera test and they thought you're fantastic you got a good voice so we're going to use you as a newsreader and i thought well, oh, yes good but come close to the date i spoke to my mom i said i'm going to start this and then she said is this tv is like a politically i said yeah there is she said no you're not doing that because i want you to come and go and if you started then you can't come back so i went back next day and uh, i told the the editor-in-chief i told her look i changed my mind i can't. She said what are you talking about we next week we're starting the show <laughs> we counted on you i said well my mom said no i can't come and uh then we had uh, uh we lost the last year she passed away hmm. and she was one of the most famous uh, iranian radio and tv presenter in iran uh, i'm sure all people know in iran and they employed her to come and do the news but I had my camera test and everything but I said no I'm not going to do it so that was actually beginning of the things which I got involved but then yeah there's more story
0: about how it how do you feel about that in retrospect I mean do you wish you had taken that job then or is it almost better that you didn't you had... it
2: was actually it was good that I didn't take the job because after two months that because of the financial issue they had they had to shut down so they couldn't maintain so if I was going that tv for mm. only two months then I would lose the opportunity because I had a British passport. Go and come to Iran. I had no problem. Even though I wouldn't go every year, maybe every four or five years, I would go to Iran to see the family or the family would come to see us. But yeah, I was happy that I didn't take that.
0: By the way, is, is your dear mom still around?
2: She passed away oh. last year. Oh, I'm um, sorry. Actually, this year, this March. Oh. And uh, yeah, and actually, my sister sent me a video a like, couple of years ago because... Um, just a few years before she passed away she's had an um, alzheimer's yes and uh, she would recognize me and so i had a clip of her which once she passed away i put it on my social media and it was it went viral so everybody was uh, saying you know and everything and uh, that she's sitting down in front of the tv watching me reading the news and she's talking to me smiling thinking because she couldn't think straight she think i'm there and then she turns back to my sister and saying rashti he just ignored me he's not <laughs> responding why is he like this you know yeah. and when i put that when i saw that i couldn't stop crying for like a couple of days and that was a couple of years before she passed away but yeah i put that on my social media and it was a i, I wanted people to see the things we have to bear because yeah. we are just the news
0: yeah it's a it's i've seen it on your instagram and it's a it's a it's a very powerful and heartbreaking uh, clip, actually, and it's beautiful that you put it up. But it occurs to me that she had a tremendous impact on you. I mean, even in this conversation alone, <laughs> your, your mother's influence is is throughout, you know, from you being a typist to uh, don't take this job. I mean, sounds like you really listened to her throughout the years.
2: Of course. Of course. I mean, still, I, I walk around in the house. I say things in Rashti when she would say, uh, because when she would speak Farsi, she had the Rashti accent. And then yeah my sister always laugh and just giggle and stuff so i my wife said now you talk about your mom more than when she was alive and i said look this is how i will remember her always the things which she was nice about her and everything and i cannot she's part of me you know i'm, I'm part of her so it's, it's very hard to for you know forget that
0: you know i'm not entirely sure i know what the Rashti accent is can you do something in a say something in persian in, te, in a tehran accent and then do the Rashti version
2: um you mean do you want me to speak rash yeah i speak- want
0: to hear oh is rashti not farsi well it is yeah of yeah, course it's, it's a dialect right i, I, I want to hear it yeah, i want
2: yeah, to do you have anybody gilak in
0: around you or no? uh yes actually but i i don't know uh but i'm trying to think right now what it sounds like i do it for me do it i get to be me is anyone with uh, rashity What's what it was
2: الان sending me cheesy چیزی که me uh, a I will It's like you
0: keep your mouth, it's not as you don't open your mouth as much or something. I
2: have spoken rashly for such a quite a long time <laughs> but I don't have any key like around me so it's kind of hard Maybe uh, that was I'm
0: fantastic not- I enjoyed it um, uh, tell me um, now you go and you end up working for a telecommunications company you end up doing a few things and then the big shift that happens in your life that would affect most people who have come to know you through Manitoba is, is this moment eight years ago where you um, start working at and, and and it's curious to me because I'm going to ask you this question at the end about what people have always told you in terms of their expectations of what you could do in life. But, but you know, to look at you, um, if I were to, and in fact, I mean, I think the first time I saw you on Manitou, I would just assume you've been doing that for decades. Like you are... That you you're an anchor who knew at the age of eight he was going to be an anchor and just started you know went in that direction um, and because you just it's so comfortable in you it's it's actually quite remarkable to me that formally like in terms of this being your profession it's been less than a decade um, and in 2015 you really didn't have that much experience when you're thrown into one of the major Iranian TV networks to be a news anchor. I know your, your wife encouraged you to respond to an ad or something, but how did you have the confidence to know that you could jump into that role?
2: Okay, um, it wasn't too difficult for me because I'm a very sociable person, okay? And uh, to me, working in that telecommunication company for almost 11 years, uh, because I had to do lots of meeting, seeing people, facing customers on the phone or whatever and that's actually built my confidence to a level that i could speak in front of 100 people without being shy so i know it's some people make it uncomfortable and i think it's it's in you it's not something that uh you want to copy or you want to pretend so i'm kind of it's it's my character if we have a guest i think i took it after my dad maybe because he was very uh kind of the same you know so it's like um I'm, I'm a I'm a very talkative person, so I think I'm not sure if I was confident enough, but um, uh, I'm very comfortable person. I'm, I'm a people's person. I, I could put you this way. I'm a people's person. I love talking to people and hang out and socializing.
0: That's clear. That's clear, actually, from more, more so when I see you in the field. But did you did, did you audition? Did you have to do an audition?
2: yes yes we had to do um camera tests and uh also interview and the audition was uh, remembering a page of like they gave me an english article they said you had a few minutes to read this memorize and then come and talk about it in front of camera in farsi mm. so I thought, oh my god so how much has got five minutes so i done it and they apparently was happy with it and then they came back to me for the interview and they said we think you're going to be great for the uh news uh reporting so that's how i started
0: and did you think that you were when you went and auditioned is that what you expected that you were going to go straight into news or did you think I mean, manitoba does a lot of different different cultural programming and and entertainment what did you think you were auditioning for
2: um i actually was asked which department you want to work and i said look um to me it doesn't make any difference anything you give me i can I can deliver so it's like it's, and they said look because you are kind of older than other at the time I was 46 47 years old and they told me because uh, you have that things which is nice and settle for doing the news and I thought okay that's fine you know, so it, that's that's how I started it
0: what was your first time on air
2: I think it was after maybe if I'm not wrong maybe after 10 days I start working and then they said yeah, you gotta go live and it was like it was nerve-wracking i was telling them <laughs> you are so brave you guys going live and i I've, I've never done this before but uh luckily i never messed up so it was quite kind of you know it, it was it was it was nerve-wracking i would say especially when they count in your ear from the gallery 10 9 and you think, oh my god now 30 million people's watching you what are millions of people are watching you yeah at the same any mistake you make you're going to be like you eh, made a mistake so
0: yeah There's a famous, um, uh, did did you ever see the movie Broadcast News? I know I didn't. It's a fabulous movie, but there's a moment where the guy who's been the the producer all his life, you know, has always wanted to be on the air, and he finally gets on the air, and they go live, and he's sweating so badly that his shirt and his jacket and everything starts show the stains of the the sweat. Uh, it, it's a really, I mean, having done a lot of live broadcasting myself, it's a different thing from taping an interview or doing. It's it's a really jacked up kind of energy, especially when you're aware that there's a lot of people watching you and oftentimes judging you for a lot of things that have nothing to do with actually the content of what you're saying. They're looking at your, your hair or the way your body is standing or what clothing you're wearing. or um, So it, it can be quite nerve wracking.
2: It is. I mean, uh, we get comments like for, for the tie you wear, pocket square you got in your pocket, your hair, what hair products you use. They, they just talk about everything. And that's so nice that that's how much they pay attention to the detail. And also, um, anything goes wrong, it's on your neck. You know what I mean? Um, gallery can go wrong, technical issues. And people think, oh, B-Savadi, he cannot do this. He doesn't know what he's talking about. Or auto cue jump out. All of a sudden, you're thinking it's a one hour news. I cannot memorize one hour. So I need that auto cue. I need the auto prompter but sometimes things happen and then that's depends on your skill how you manage to actually handle it but it's it's not an easy job i would say
0: can can i i mean i hate to descend into superficiality here but you are known for your fabulous hair um and and can i ask you i mean i think i saw you saying somewhere that the gray hair the white hair it happened quite early in life for you yes
2: yes um uh, when I was 16 years old, my father had a car accident, and after nine days he passed away, so I was only turned 16. And uh, after about a month, I saw a white hair in the middle of my head, then few at the side. I was only like not even 17 years old. So I think uh, emotionally it really um, affected me, and um, because we had nobody with grey hair in my family. And when I was 20, 21, when I went to do my army, I had like few white at the sides and then when i was getting married i had like 30 percent white hair when i was only 23 24 and then increased every time so but i still i'm happy that i didn't lost the hair it's gone gray
0: no you haven't lost it at all but the, I mean I'm sure somebody's done the analogy with Anderson Cooper with you right because uh, of CNN because he quite famously in his 30s already had the gray hair and 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 was rocking it I mean you, you've you never nobody ever came to you at the beginning of Tour or something and said you know why don't you color this brown or or change it or something like that
2: actually no not in Tour, but we I had so many people directed or leaving comments under the Instagram page all of us why don't you color your hair is way better with the darker hair and I thought no that's not gonna look good you know so they're always insisting or some of the family back in Iran relatives they said why don't you color your hair you make like 10 years younger I said I don't want to look younger I'm happy with what I have at the moment but
0: it would be totally awesome if you just turned up on Manatoa all of a sudden like one day with like jet black hair that you've done exactly.
2: <laughs> to be honest with you I in my lifetime I've done it once um, uh, we went for a holiday to Iran. That was, I was, I think it was 30 years old. And we went to Keraman to my wife's, one of the uncle's, uh, house for a couple of days. And, uh, his lovely wife said, okay, Fashion, why don't you color your hair? Let's dye your hair. I said, well, okay then. So we dyed, and it was really nice. I had like nice short hair, and it was good. After three days, all the red coming out from the. I said, "This is my last time. I actually <laughs> would dye my hair." So that was the last time I've never done it again. Ah. I shaved my hair to look like even, because you know.
0: Well, you're very much- you're very handsome. It, it, everybody ta- calls you handsome, and 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 you you really. I mean, you've been considered good looking. I would imagine since you were you were probably a popular guy in your teenage years, right?
2: Well, that you have to ask my wife. I think that's what no, I'm asking you. I'm asking you and I think <laughs> sure. you
0: can be honest about it.
2: Oh, OK, I'm going to be moderate. But yeah, yeah, I think, yeah, I was OK. I was all right. And I think she fell in love with my looks. I managed to um, fool her, you know, say, look how good looking I am. You She always had issues Said you take too much to fix your hair because those days I used to have mallets, you know, back long. And then we had these, you know, oh, you uh, had sideburns. Ross You call him mullets, oh, mullet. Oh, you mullet. Know, you
0: had long in the back. and and.
2: <laughs> and in front do you remember, uh, what was that singer's name? Uh, Paul Young.
0: Yes, of course.
2: Maybe So it was the same hairstyle. It was very popular in Iran. So if you have that, then you will be. And it was very hard to manage to do that. You had lots of hairspray and stuff. And obviously I had to look perfect. So I was always, and so she fell in love with my hair as well, actually. (laughs) Well, yeah,
0: yeah, that's why you still, you know, I still, you've got the nice gel in there. I mean, you still take care of it, clearly. You have to keep your wife happy. Um, Fasha, let me ask you about the last, uh, I guess to get a little more serious about um, your job and what you've had to do in the last year. It occurs to me as an outsider, I mean, I know, some of this by knowing you guys and knowing Kayvon and Abbasi and others, and and I, but it, it occurs to me that Manoto had to as as a product of events in around the world, and and it wasn't the only network that had to do this. Had to pivot somewhat uh, last year after the killing of Massa Amini and the 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 desperate outrage of Iranians inside Iran and around the world and the global outrage, in fact, and and the programming shifted. Tell me what that was like and what, how you had to manage the last year and what must have been a a kind of a change at Manitoba in terms of having to change the tone and deal with some really serious shit going on in Iran. Uh,
2: Definitely, because what happened in Iran, it was so serious that whole plan in Manitoba changed. One of the beauty with Manitoba is, uh, I think anything happens, I mean, COVID happened, different things happen uh, very quickly they managed to shift and direct the company in a way that it will do better than before I mean during the COVID so many other companies they got bankrupt or the program got affected if there were TV channels and stuff but Manoto managed to produce more program and maintain the good shop because they said people at home now it's you know lockdown and people need more programs so it was more pressure on people i mean working with Manoto, working from home give them the facility to work from home but they will always come up with an idea that to be updated for that moment and the same thing was for um uh, that happens so whole focus of the company went on to this scenario and when that went down I think so many other companies tried to go back to normal but for Manoto, we thought this will be uh normalizing like okay okay people died they got shot they got blind they got tortured they got raped you know now it's, now it's finished now it's done but with Manitou, we said no no this is not going to happen so we cannot have for no rules concerts and people yeah. come and dance and stuff yeah we have to remember that because so many family they lost their loved one so we had a duty to remember them it's i mean it's so easy because people get fed up they say oh we had enough with this news you know we know all about it so let's stop doing that but Manoto maintained that for those people who lost their life their eyesight their life everything and try to remember them and keep the flare on do you know what i mean yeah. so i think that was one of the good things and what happened with Manoto? mainly we switched into the news basically so the entertainment part um, kind of gone for now
0: did that put more uh i don't know pressure or emphasis on you
2: uh i can't say more pressure because for us we are, we are professional okay so it's a job do things happen like this i mean during the uh for the first three weeks i didn't take no a day off and i was willing to do that it wasn't that i was asked well they needed people because we had three four live show every day mm. so, uh, 12 o'clock, 3 o'clock, 5 o'clock, 9 o'clock. So everything was live. It wasn't that repeat. And uh, we were all of us, not just me. We were all working around the clock. We start at 10 o'clock, finish, got home by 12 o'clock midnight. I didn't see my children and my family for three weeks. I would come home, everybody's sleeping. I wake up, everybody's gone. So, uh, But I wouldn't mind. I would rather to do that another six months, but see a positive things happen in Iran. Yeah. yeah which will happen eventually.
0: Well, I was going to ask you about that. I mean, one of the things we've talked about a lot on this show, and you may know that, is 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 the uprising. And there was a moment, I would say, somewhere in October and November of last year, I guess about a year ago now, um, where there was a real sense of, and, and perhaps it was misled, perhaps it was premature, perhaps it was naive, but... You felt a real sense across the uh, Iranian global population uh, of not just unity for a a beautiful and maybe fleeting moment, but also uh, an expectation that change was really coming and, and maybe coming soon. Did, did you feel that at that time too or or was the fact that you were kind of at the center of things knowing what's going on in Iran more so and what was happening on the ground did it did you stay sort of more realistic if you will about things
2: I think what happened in Iran here the people the way United I mean in UK other countries it, it was fantastic to begin with but after a while what happened you see like different opinion people wanted to do their own things and they want to get what they want to uh, to me it was um I was heartbroken to see that that there's too many different positions coming and they just they're not thinking about people in Iran because to me most important is what people are saying in the street of Iran mm-hmm. so what they want to do because who am I or anybody like me to make decisions for them and we'll say no we have to do this no we have to do that no you don't do nothing you've been here 45 years as the opposition or whatever or tv channel whatever you're doing and you haven't done bugger all you didn't do anything now it comes people came to the street now you're making for them uh, telling them what to do mm. so that actually it ruined everything i think because there were so many um disagreements between the people and groups which i was actually witnessing in london street here myself because I, the day was all the demonstration happening in london it was saturday which i work and couple of days I had off on Saturday, which was a big demonstration happened. I went with my daughter, and uh, we were like it was heavy rain coming. It was lots of Iranian, but we joined in, and uh, I thought we have to be part of it. I've been there several times. It was fantastic, and the vibe was so good. But um, eventually, it's um, it changed. To be honest, so
0: when you talk about dictating what 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 the future is going to be, et cetera, are you talking about the Mansour? Is that the part where you really think things fell apart?
2: To be honest with you, no, I don't, I don't think there was anything wrong with the Manchur. I think um, what happened in in that Manchur, I mean, when people sat next to each other and people knew who were they, they're going to deal with, uh, some people didn't want to play the part. I don't want to go too much into the detail. Sure. I'm not a politician, but uh, I, I don't think that was the reason. I think it was just people planning things in their heads for future. Which is not what people thinking in Iran. I think that was the reason, and that's what I think. If something needs to happen, it has to happen in Iran, not in here. And uh, we can just be the voice if we can. Otherwise, no, I'd rather not to comment on that at all, to be honest. You're
0: you're in such an interesting position when you're, um, I would say this if you're working at Iran International too. I want those two channels in particular where you're you're broadcasting you're in london but your audience is inside iran and despite the fact that you're not inside iran you have to show you you have to win their trust and and earn their their connection you know um you have to keep in touch with what's happening in iran um in a very profound way you're the face for them right and one of the things that manato has uh, become famous for uh, certainly over the last year with the uprising was was playing clips of of citizen journalism or, or people were sending videos that you guys would then play on Mano and I didn't know that I mean I knew you did this iReporter reporter thing but I didn't know that you're 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 actually one of the people who collects these videos and has to go through them and it would give you a tremendous insight into what I mean you've probably seen things that you can't show us you know that you wouldn't put on the air etc. Tell me what you learned about the Iranian people in 2022 2023 through these videos that have been sent and that you that you um uh, curate and put on iReporter.
2: What's, uh, I can't say surprised me because um Iranian always very smart but what happened in Iran it showed that people are so united in iran that's what something people thought it will be issue and also they can see everything and they can analyze everything and the way they send the report to us i mean when sometimes i see i get like wow they pointing at things that i never thought about it uh, any any subject you will think <clears throat> will get reports from iran's street every day so i have that sort of a connection which is uh, like day to day i'm in touch with them they send the reports i have to watch them all choose some and the most difficult part in that segment is that to which one to choose because there's so many good clip comes. and you're thinking if you don't show them so it's going to get wasted and that person risked his life He could go to prison maybe for sending me that video but he he's done it you know he sent it to us and I always have an argument with the producer of the news. And I tell them, look, I've got like only 13 minutes. I report. I said, no, 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 the arm, I report it shouldn't be more than seven minutes. So I always try to squeeze as much reports because we have to do everything from scratch. I have to go through all of them. I have to choose them. I have to fact check them to make sure it's correct and also edit them, shorten them as much as possible without changing the, any concept or anything like How that. How
0: do you decide? How do you decide what you're going to run
2: okay every day we have a subject of the news what's happening so anything related to the daily news we will usually choose so it will it will support and don't forget it's not only be showing i report the was is we use it for the vts in the yeah. news the reports so it gets used all different parts of yeah. uh, news nowadays because we are doing more news not entertainment even the other department, like Manoto Plus and then Manoto Live, they do between the shows. So we have so many live shows happening, which we never had it before. So this change happens. So they show this eye reporter as well. So it's getting played on different departments, in Salumas program, in different programs. So it's get aired. So people's voice can be hear more than before. It touch your hearts. You know, you think, oh, my God, people actually in Iran trust us so much.
0: So we have a duty to be their voice. It's a tremendous responsibility because, depending on, I mean, some of these videos can and have changed the narrative on that particular day, or for a week, or for, or for more. And I've got to imagine that you receive, like I intimated before, you, you probably receive all kinds of different stuff, and including things that you're not sure if you should air, that um, you know would have a tremendous impact if you did, right?
2: that's right yeah yeah it's so, so many times you get reports that uh, they're very graphic you cannot show or the things they say they they're very um rock as you know mm. so they they will just tell their opinion which so it's it's not possible to air that so they have to put beep on it you know it's just like you have to play around with it but it's it's amazing amount of the reports we get from iran it's unbelievable and that shows that people need some places that they can trust that they're going to you know echo their voice so everybody can hear them
0: it's also uh, um back to the emotional nature of what you have to do uh, that's a freaking tough gig there buddy like you, you 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 have to sit and sift through uh, and you can't take the day off and say no I'm not going to look at these videos today sift through this stuff that's coming at you that has got to be not just powerful and in some cases inspirational but on the opposite hand devastating disgusting deflating um how do you cope with that
2: it happens many times once i'm editing and watching these videos i burst into tears nobody realizes because i'm just working and just crying the other night uh sometimes you get emotional not because it's it's, it's a feeling of maybe happiness that that your people gets everything so perfectly so right and the the way they're changing everything is shifting for people I mean um for instance uh last year when it was Tassu this or Azadari they do for Muharram it was the first year that we received so many videos that people are saying they really believe Islam so they're very into it but they don't believe the government so they saying if we're going and doing this azadari mourning is not because we love the government we're doing this because we're muslim so it mm-hmm. they completely shifted so i was i was doing editing this video whole day and some of them i just stopped crying it was just, it was like i couldn't believe that people are that what voice and understand every aspect of what they're doing and then one of the colleagues saw me uh, i'm sure you've seen omid Aayem, and then they said no oh, we saw you that you were really uh, touched by video say yeah, so come tonight to the omida we want to take you there so i went to that program and people were calling in and it was the same scenario they were saying look we are one of the people i mean some of them they called and they said we organized this as other is and uh, this year we're not doing it because of the khiza Masamini and the people being killed so we don't believe that so it was it was a, it had a big impact do you know what i mean yeah. so it's these things you see and it really uh, touches your heart you know it's, it's very um, emotional
0: I can, yeah, I mean that that is a very, very tough gig that you have when you do that. Um, it is such a real honor to get to talk to you. I've been looking forward to it. Before I let you go, you know, I, I wasn't sure if I was gonna ask anything about your dad. I know you lost him when you were you were very young and, and you talked about um, um, the, the hair going white. I mean that's a that's got to be a, a a suggestion of the anxiety or the difficulties you went through after losing your dad as a teenager. What can you say about him, and what would he think of how far Farashad Mutaqi has come today?
2: I think he he would have been proud of me. Uh, um, And he was very much like myself, I would say. He was like very talkative, very kind to people, and trying to be like, you know. uh, He was a people's person as well. And I think maybe seeing me right now, that to see amounts of, attention we're getting from people and the trust not only attention is just like how much people trust you i think that's something i wish for my children to be the same do you know what i mean to to be able to i'm not saying i'm making a cha- changes but that as long as people trust you and you have that respect and that reputation that i think that's a lot because gaining such a um trust amongst people that is not easy
0: you know there's people that you look at and you go that person was meant to do that i know i know in a previous conversation you told me that everybody's always told you you have the goods to be a news anchor you've got the charm you've got the voice you you're a smart guy you're a handsome guy and now you are a news anchor that's what you do 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 you do you feel like you're to a certain extent you're doing what you were always meant to do
2: i think so i think so i think um... My wife was asking me actually back a couple of weeks ago, He said, uh, if you would say what's the best time of your life, which part we you say? I said, when I saw you and we were like friends before, and that was honest, true answer. I said, and then said, what else? I said, right now. I said, where I'm standing right now, it's something I would never think of, that one day I will be in such a position and uh to be able to do something i see this not as a job uh john i see this as a opportunity to take a step for my people i'm not doing anything special but you know what i mean so if if people trust me and uh, see me as somebody who is you know for them is it's hard to say i went to turkey a couple of weeks ago a couple of months ago for a holiday summer holiday with my wife and family and uh, i come across with so many iranian in that hotel we were and to me that holiday become the most amazing holiday mm. the feedback i had from these people every day i wanted to sit down and cry because they come. I saw more than 100 families in that time and every single one of them came to me they know me by name by a family name and they start hugging me taking picture and i was uh, because i never i didn't know how much fan we have i mean people how much know us and to me and they saw that i saw them that how much they trust me how much they respect me and to me that was like an eye-opener to be honest with you because the family tells you in iran that people knows you they recognize you and say yeah okay so what Mm. but it was a different feeling that to have that, that moment to be with them they came yesterday from iran they see you they get surprised some of them they come and cry some of them hug you some of them take picture some of them wants to know what's happening to me, it was it was amazing. It was an amazing trip. Just seeing my, you know, fellow Iranian coming from Iran.
0: I'm really glad you told that uh, that story, and I'm glad that you're getting that feedback. I, I'm grateful. I've kept you too long. I know it's late in London, and I, I really appreciate the time you've given us, and um, I, I look forward to to chatting with you more. Thank you so much for joining this today.
2: Thank you so much for the time you give me, and it was pleasure to be in your program.
0: Merci, Khodafis. All right, this is Rook episode two hundred ninety fast shot.
1: What a nice guy. Honestly, I was just listening to that and I was he like, he's is a, so That's nice. what you took away from that? Yeah. Yeah, yeah.
0: He is a nice guy. It's clear. It really yeah, is. Yeah.
1: And I love the story about his wife. And, you know. <laughs> yes, yes. A, yes. Good, a good romantic story.
0: Yes, yes. And his, uh, um, his, Im- when he's talking about his emotions and, mm-hmm. and uh, how he, how much these things affect him and, of course, famously crying on the air and all that, it's yeah. a, he's a very... Uh, I think that's one of the reasons I think I mean as I said to him in the interview I think that's part partly why people feel connected to mm-hmm. him he comes off as very a very human um, serious news anchor even if he says <laughs> he's not that serious alright I said we'd do the roundup if uh, on the other side of Farshad. so let's get to a couple of items now and before uh, we had Farshad on at the top of the show we were talking briefly about the Middle East and the situation there and the the actions of the Islamic Republic of Iran and and um, and I was saying that I wanted to talk something about how the impression of Iran is going to change mm-hmm. again. And I feel like, like we were talking about on our bonus podcast on Monday, that uh, this, this $6 billion thing, for example, yep. right? It was kind of, when that deal for the hostages was done and part and parcel of it was $6 billion goes unfreezes or however, mm-hmm. however you want to parse it, but basically goes into the coffers of the the regime as part of the deal that the US makes. Um, you know, it did make the news, but it really didn't register that much, I feel like, for the broader world, the non- yeah. non-Iranian non community. for Amongst Iranians, some Iranians, it was a really big deal.
1: Oh, yeah.
0: Uh, and we talked about it, but you know, it wasn't. Now, <laughs> Because Iran of course, has played a role, however specific or not, mm-hmm. you know in its ongoing support of Hamas and Hezbollah, etc, in this tragedy and these atrocities that have happened and now a war has begun um, certainly in the United States, all of a sudden this six billion dollar thing has become a much bigger issue mm-hmm. and Iran is once again on the agenda. I mean I can never, entirely guess what the mullahs are thinking and because they're who can you know you have to put yourself in the mindset of a of a crew who will do anything to retain and maintain their power and and some of that is murdering kids and all that stuff but but they I don't get this I mean they're they're cheering on this Hamas slaughter of in Israel and all of that and at the same time I think this is going to end up. This is going to change relations with Iran in the sense that, for example, if there was any recent increasing cozying up between the U.S. administration and Iran again, mm-hmm. and we've heard something, some of that and we, we were anticipating the path towards a new nuclear deal, mm-hmm. I don't think the Biden administration can do that now.
1: No, I, I mean, th- I think
0: that the all eyes are going to be on you know what the Americans do and engaging with Iran is not going to be one of the things that, uh, that's going to that the American population would put up with.
1: Well, yeah, and I mean, I think we're already seeing some backpedaling from even the Islamic Republic because I think um, Khamenei took out took down um, a tweet or something like that that he had put up about the support for Hamas and really, yeah. Yeah.
0: Khamenei was shamed out of uh, yes one of his tweets. Yes, and oh he and God. he
1: made a statement. I think it was a tweet because he also then made a statement saying, you know, the the U.S. or some some politicians out there are labeling us as having support, but this is not. You know, we didn't. Um, what did he say? He said something like, "We didn't encourage this, or we didn't, we didn't have some part in this, or something like that." So there's definitely some back. We were just
0: like high fiving and cheering when it all. Yeah, happened. but yeah. but
1: he's trying to pinpoint that you know we didn't have a hand right. in this in particular. Right. So there's some backpedaling, but I think it goes back to what you were saying about how it's difficult for the Biden administration and even more crucially the Israeli government to say that you know Iran's had a specific or they have specific evidence that Iran is involved in this because if they do then it affects you know the decisions that they have to make but at the very least i think it's going to affect the region as a whole whether it's iran and 100%. the us and at it's the most
0: it could it could precipitate mm-hmm. uh military action on iran i mean Absolutely. it's not without question right it's not it's it's anything's possible mm-hmm. and as that as this conflict this war whatever it as it develops and, and grows and uh, elasticizes and metastasizes and who knows who's gonna get involved, how they're gonna get involved. and. Iran's name is in there all oh, over the sure. place.
1: Yeah. And I think again, Iran's already s- kind of putting some things in motion. They're trying to meet with the UAE there. There's a, a, I think the foreign minister is on his way to, um, Lebanon and Syria, I believe the Iranian foreign minister. So they're already trying to kind of scramble because they know that this is going to have implications and that 6 billion or whatever. Th- I heard something that they were going to freeze it today, or there's some speculation that they're going to. Well, freeze. depending on who
0: you ask. Now I like do do you have any update on this because so, by the time this podcast comes out or by the time anybody's listening to it there may be more clarity yeah. on this but the, I'm seeing completely conflicting like NBC News said that there was a deal between the US and Qatar that they're they're going to freeze that 6 mm-hmm. billion and then other sources have said like the Qataris were ridiculing that <laughs> uh you know
1: Yeah, there's nothing concrete. I think it's just some speculation and like you said, some reports from from varying sources. Um, I know that initially there were some US senators calling for that kind of freeze to be done um, and they were you know criticizing the Biden administration for even releasing it which we've talked about in length um, which we also talked about on Monday but as of right now it's unclear but um, there is some conversation I actually had a good laugh about this because it goes back to what we were saying on Monday about you know it's it's six billion dollars in the hands of the Islamic Republic regardless of what it's going towards right. but there's some um, some because conversation because the U.S.
0: administration still continues to insist at press briefings etc. that this is earmarked for humanitarian yes, exactly. go- every penny and you're like, w- who are you... Well, who are you yeah. kidding with this right
1: honestly but th- that's what I was saying it's it's kind of unclear but there were reports that they were saying they're going to make it harder for the funds to be um, accessed and used for certain things so that they can determine whether or not it was used to support Hamas but that's what
0: anything. I mean by how the politics have changed in a week yes right because this was basically off the radar and a done deal mm-hmm. and all of a sudden it's now oh I mean they can refreeze the f- you know I mean it's like a it's a different game all mm-hmm. of a sudden you know
1: and all of it I think it was never a formal agreement. The more I was reading into this, the more it seems like it was just kind of this, what they're calling a quiet understanding or a quiet agreement. It, there was never something formalized about the nuances of how the funds would be transferred and used and all of that. No. There's, yeah, there's some No, there's I think some the quiet understanding
0: is whether they're going to freeze it or not again.
1: Yeah, maybe, but... I don't think the quiet... There, there, was, there was something that I was reading about um, the, the specific allocations of it and they were saying how it's to be used for humanitarian. There's no follow-up to that. Like, how are you going to... Again, what we were talking about? How are you going to determine that?
0: The way that uh, I have no idea, and I don't. I mean, it's hard to. Who do you trust? Exactly. Uh, Everybody's got their own agendas, in in terms of the defensiveness of the American administration now, and the (laughs) offensiveness of the Iranian administration. But 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 the the guy, what's his name? not the not Anthony Blinken, but the other guy. Not Jake. So anyway, the the person, the who Treasury was doing, guy, the person who was doing the the, the press briefing today. Okay. The American. <laughs> <laughs> In the movie, he's just an American. We don't yeah, even know exactly. his name. exactly uh, No, he he was saying. Oh, I can't remember who. What, what's his name? I feel bad now. It's not Jake Sullivan. It's not Anthony Blinken. It is. Uh, it's the guy who does the kind of. Uh, are you looking it up? Yeah, John anyway, Kirby. John Kirby. That's, John Kirby. Okay. Yeah. John Kirby was basically saying uh, he was he he was impli- he was saying every penny of that mm-hmm. that the U.S. is going to oversee how it gets spent when it gets released.
1: Yes, but how
0: exactly? Th- like that's even the I whole was thing? even as he was saying it, yeah. I was going, "What is the mechanism for this? Like, you're uh, it's not like it's like." Is it cash in an envelope (laughs) that you're going to see being carried to, you know, Medecins Sans Frontieres somewhere or something? Like, how is is this actually going to... I mean, the whole thing is so absurd. And, And he was saying the only difference between yesterday and today is we moved it from South Korea to Qatar. Meantime, Qatar is saying... If Israel attacks Gaza, we're gonna cut off oil supply. Like, I mean, yeah, no, no, none of know, it makes sense. None of it makes sense. And,
1: and even with the money, this is what I was—I was actually having a conversation with a friend of mine, and I was saying, okay, let's just imagine that this six billion, sure, it's only going to be used for humanitarian aid or whatever else it is that you want to call it. The fact is, the Islamic Republic now has six billion more that they can do whatever they want with, whether it's humanitarian, and they're going to allocate other funds sure, that they have exactly, for all exactly. sorts of other bullshit. Exactly.
0: But don't tell John Kirby that. Yeah, right. He'll, yeah, th- I mean it was, um, I, and I, you know, it's a weird position I'm in. All of a sudden, I'm like, I'm cheering on like Fox News reporters. <laughs> I'm like, yes. This has never happened. Question him about the six billion. Yeah. <laughs> like anyway, uh, let's get to some of the things that the other things that mm-hmm. are going on in Iran. And we, a, a couple of follow-ups. Um, actually, all of these items are really depressing. No surprise, but uh, Armita Geravand, mm-hmm. the young woman, the the teenager,
1: the sixteen year old, sixteen
0: year old who was on the subway and and um, had a confrontation with hijab police, and then has been in a coma since then. Um, this is bad news.
1: Yeah, they, so recently um, there were reports of her being declared brain dead, um, and there's some reports of her doctor saying, you know, there's now no hope for survival and that her brain activity is at such a low point that essentially she may as well be pronounced dead. So it, it's really, really sad news. But again, you know, the one thing that I keep hearing and seeing on Persian Twitter, my my one source, um, is that, you know, a lot of people are saying that we don't know if this is true. We don't know if the information that we're receiving is true. We don't know what's happening. Why is it that they're saying she's brain dead and not actually pronounced dead? So there's there's some kind of back and forth there. But again, like you said, it, it's definitely not good By news. the way, it's not your one source. No, I'm joking, I know of that course. you check
0: a bunch of... But, but uh, and again, perhaps, I don't know, tellingly or sickeningly, uh, did you, there were some reports that her mom had come out and said, mm-hmm. No, she's fine, or like it's, it's, it's all blown up. It's not, you know, it's not as bad as it, people think. And, and that was obviously co- coerced. People yeah. imagine was coerced by the re- So, the, in the absence of <laughs> empirical evidence, mm-hmm. you look at the pattern beforehand. And as I, as I did in that essay a couple of weeks ago, uh, or last week I guess it was there's no mystery to this no. I mean it's, it's the same pattern repeating itself over and over again it's flight 752 you know it's well we don't really and, know what yeah. happened there's a lot of different information the people who were saying IRGC shot down a plane were right from the beginning that's right Right. Um Nazila Marufian Yes. What can you tell us about her?
1: Um, so Nazina Marufian, she's the she's also in her twenties, I, I think, twenty four, if I'm not mistaken. she's um she's a journalist, and she was arrested numerous times over the course of the past year year and a bit. Um, most famously, she was targeted because she had interviewed Massa Amini's father, um, and that really landed her in trouble with you know the the police force in Iran and um she was arrested she was uh detained she was sentenced to prison for one year and then she got out on early release all sorts of things there so now what's happened is she was essentially forced into exile she's now in France and she's released um a video online basically talking about um you know what had gone on and what she's endured um she mentioned that she was in prison in northern Iraq for 13 days Iraq yeah (laughs) <laughs> Picking on how I say things again. Yeah. Northern Iraq. Wasn't sure where you were talking about. Um, I clarify.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> uh, and she was, um, she was detained and tortured for 13 days, and she actually had visible um, bruises and markings on her yeah. face in this video. And so, um, you know, she, she went on Instagram and live and talked about everything that she's kind of had to deal with. And something she mentioned that really kind of You know, I mean, it shouldn't be shocking, but what was really, really upsetting is um, she had received death threats and her mother was told point blank that her daughter was going to be killed one way or another. And I mean, I just thought, again, to talk about what we've talked about for the last year and a bit, the resilience of these young women and what they're constantly going through and yet fighting through it.
0: And speaking of resilience of... Of women in Iran, we talked on Monday about Nagas Mohammadi. Yes, um, half of the title of the Monday podcast was Nobel and the Nobel, and Nagas, of course, the winner of the Nobel Peace Prize, mm-hmm. and historically, so one of the few women who's won this, and she does this as she's jailed and has been jailed twelve times, and and we talked about on Monday how winning the Nobel Peace Prize, um, despite what someone would instinctively or, you know, intuitively might think that this is going to somehow create a a protection around Mm -hmm. her because she'll be watched now. She becomes an international cause, somebody who people know, somebody who people, there's a bigger pool of respect and and you can't, uh, and we talked about how that is not the case, how Shirin Baudis' life was became much, much more difficult Mm -hmm. uh, under the hands of the regime after she won the Nobel Peace Prize, uh, almost in forms of reprisals. And now already, I mean, that was Monday, three days later, we're already seeing that with Nagi's Mohammedi, right?
1: Yeah, so her lawyer actually um, reported that uh, he was denied a meeting with her, coming off the heels of this win and, and, you know, the... The conversations we've had about her, um, and it was because she refused to wear her hijab to come to the meeting. So there's some reports of the fact that um, she was in the clinic, in the prison clinic at the time, and so she was supposed to have this meeting with her lawyer. And leading up to going to that meeting, she says she had said she wasn't going to wear a hijab, and so she was then assaulted, um, and then taken back to her cell, and then her lawyer was told that um, she wasn't going to have that meeting with him.
0: Hmm. Yeah. It's pretty. It's a, it's a pretty tough week.
1: Yeah, lots of um, no happy news, unfortunately.
0: <laughs> mm, well, yeah. Well, there's we 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 have to search for it. But uh, there's when there's a lot of horrible stuff happening in the world. It's hard to sometimes focus on the happy stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, thank you, Pega. Thank you. We're back on Monday with the bonus podcast of yes. the the roundup. I think we have a special guest coming uh, as part of our roundup on Monday. Uh, In the meantime, uh, thanks for being here. Thank you. All right. This is full time for Rook for today. Things Rook related. Go to our website, rookmedia.com, rookmedia.com. That's also where you can press the support us button and become a Rook member on Patreon. And starting in November, you get extra content. Our Monday shows are for Patreon members, so join up. Thanks to the amazing team who put this show together each week. Talented Anahita, Savvy Roham, Smart Pega, Bearded Omid, Methodical Kaveh, Super Parisa. Thank you to all of you out there for supporting us and sharing our content. Please do subscribe if you haven't done so already on any or all of our platforms. Find me on Instagram at Gian Gomeshi. Mizumbashi.